This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. And this is Spilled Milk, the show that... Oh my god, I forgot the <laughs> opening. <laughs> oh god! Okay, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Okay. The show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. I Yay. Did it. <laughs> God, uh, that's never happened before. That's okay. Like the rest of the <laughs> show is gonna be real awkward and uncomfortable for me because today we're talking about kohlrabi. I think I think I've eaten twice and I have never bought. Great. So I couldn't remember our opening tagline, and you don't know anything about the topic. I do have a little memory lane though. Oh, good. Take it away. I don't okay. Something in the 80s that I was watching, there was, oh, wait, I remember what it was. This is all coming back to me. It was a commercial for Bartles and James wine coolers. And I think the joke was like that uh, when you're drinking wine, people are always talking, like snooty wine people are always talking about wine pairings. And uh, everything goes well with uh, Bartles and James wine coolers, so you don't have to worry about this. They And they uh, tasted a bunch of things and found that the only things that don't pair well with a Bartles and James wine cooler are kohlrabi and candy corn. And that was the what? first time I heard the word kohlrabi, but I don't think I knew what it was until years later. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, my God. I love that you remember that. I wonder if we could find this commercial on YouTube. I bet we could. Do you want to take a second and look for it? Uh, no. no. Let's, we have a producer for that. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, hey, I remember the, all those commercials. Wasn't wasn't it like a couple of older older white guys yep. with like uh, what what type of hat is that? Like a little uh, oh, like a I pork, don't know. Pi- pork pie hat? Maybe, yeah. Like they were like you know they were always wearing like khaki pants. They they were folksy homespun yeah, kind of guys. Those um, kind of guys. And uh, and it was like totally made up because it was like some you know corporate brand name. Have you ever had a wine cooler? Yes, definitely. I mean, like a wine cooler out out of like a prepared wine cooler, and not just like wine that you. Oh, what yeah. is a wine cooler? Uh, a <laughs> you... wine cooler is it's it's a it's a soda that's sort of wine flavored. Okay. <laughs> With alcohol. Can I do um, the same thing by taking wine and like pouring some like unflavored fizzy water in it? Does that make a wine cooler? You would need to add sugar. Oh, they're very okay. sweet. Very um, sweet. Okay. 
Well, I think we talked about this on the hard seltzer episode that that hard seltzer has kind of taken over like hard seltzer. And like, you know what? Mike's hard lemonade is kind of like a wine cooler. OK, because like they right. would be flavored like you get like the raspberry Bartles and James wine cooler. And so it was really just like if you don't like wine, but you want to get drunk. You know, we are about this. to be sued by Mike's hard lemonade for like defamation. Yes, I'm sure that's what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, we're we're such a big and powerful podcast. I think uh, I think they're too too busy counting their money. Yeah. Uh, wait a minute, Matthew. Hey, this episode is airing on August 13th. Have you had any uh, any hard seltzer this this season? No, I have not. I've been I've been drinking hard cider. Oh, okay. My show Lori brought home a four pack of Seattle cider, dry hard cider, which I think is the the best commercial in a can hard cider that you can get mm-hmm. locally. And we've been sharing cans, and uh, we're three cans in because uh, that's how we roll. Oh, you guys are the best. <laughs> Okay. Well, uh, my memory lane of kohlrabi, I think it really only dates back to kind of the my early experiences going to farmers markets here in Seattle. So when I first moved here, it was to go to grad school. And I got a part-time job working at the front desk of a Pilates studio that was then in the basement of the U Heights building. Okay. I was the receptionist. Uh, it was a thrilling job, as you can uh-huh. imagine. No, I was um, waiting for you to break into uh, one of your classic <laughs> stories from the Pilates studio. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Wait, what's that show called? Uh, like Inside inside the Pilates Studio with uh, Jamie Lipton? <laughs> Is there an actual show you're basing this on? Yeah, it's Inside the Actor's Studio. James oh. Lipton, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Yes, it's just like that. Anyway, on Saturday mornings, if I was working, this was super convenient because I could take a little break and go out to the parking lot in Mm -hmm. front of the U Heights building where the U District Farmers Market was. It's now on the street next to that building. But anyway, this was, gosh, at, at that time, I thought of this as really like the biggest farmers market in the city. I, I think that the farmers markets I mean, have it's exploded. Up there. It's up there. Or it, and certainly was at the time, like I think uh, like U District, West Seattle, Columbia City were maybe the mm-hmm. three biggest at mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And Matthew, actually, I remember once seeing you and Lori and baby Iris yes. in like a baby Bjorn at that All farmer's three of market. us were in a baby Bjorn being carried by, <laughs> by a friendly giant. Oh, God, it's my dream. Yes, there it is again. Anyway, no, I remember standing at some stall at the U District Farmer's Market and looking over and I had met you once at that dumbass chocolate tasting party mm-hmm. through e-gullet. And then you guys had Iris. Then I think the second time I ever saw you was uh, in like the booth next to mine at the U District Farmers Market. But I didn't. Do you remember speak what you. booths they were? I don't remember. I mean, because I, I hope I was buying something cool. I'm sure you were buying yeah. something super cool. Maybe cold even. Yeah, maybe Cole Robbie. Maybe. Probably But not. anyway, I didn't speak to you then. I was just a creeper who knew who you were, but I didn't say anything. Okay. That seems fair. Yeah. Anyway, so... I remember seeing kohlrabi for sale at that farmer's market, and I remember not buying it because I didn't know what to do with it. Oh, this is a good memory laid, a time I remember not buying this thing. (laughs) But that was the first time I ever came upon it. You know, of course, it's a really cool-looking vegetable, especially when you buy it at the farmer's market where it still has all the leaves and stems attached, Oh, yeah, it looks awesome. Can we go back to memory lane for a second? Because I didn't realize this would qualify literally every day of my life, I have not bought kohlrabi. <laughs> oh, 
your memory lane is long yes. for this. That's a lot of days. It's like, I don't know, over 10,000 days. Yeah. Wow. Did you just do that math? Yeah. So well, 45 times 365. Yeah, because yeah, like, thir- like, like 30 years is, is like 10,000-ish days. Okay, fair enough. All right, well, let's talk about what this stuff is because I think that, well, I think a lot of people like us have like maybe just started. Well, actually, let me speak only for myself. I think a lot of people like me have maybe only just tasted this stuff for the first time within the last couple of years or have seen it in places and never really known what the heck it was or what to do with it. I've actually had it uh, starting like maybe 15 years ago. You are just showing off now. You're trying to make me look bad. But I, I don't think I've had it recently, but I've always enjoyed it when I had it. And I've and I've mostly had it raw. Yeah, now, my God, you are okay, just backfilling let's, let's just history. Let's flip this episode. I, in, <laughs> I was the horticulturalist who developed the first kohlrabi back Perfect. in the... Do you have anything about the the botanical history of kohlrabi? Because I want to say like the Bronze Age. I, d- I don't have any actual dates, so you're supposed to fill those in because you're the horticulturist. Okay, well, I am a Bronze Age kind of guy. Like if you if you see me out on the street, I'll be wearing some sort of bronze plate mail and carrying like bronze tools, like a yeah. like a, like a <laughs> toolkit full of bronze uh-huh. wrenches. And what what kind of what kind of early tools did people make out of bronze? Oh God, uh, I think uh, I don't know. Probably an anvil. I'm going to go anvil. Okay. <laughs> if you see me out on the street, what about a gavel? So okay, could, holding a gavel could. and an anvil, <laughs> gavel in one hand and an anvil in the other hand for striking with the gavel. Um, Wait, where was I going with what you should? I guess. I mean, the I guess you should. You horticulturist, you know everything about kohlrabi. I was going to say you should come up and ask me about kohlrabi, <laughs> but if you see someone holding up like a hammer and an anvil, I, I mean, first of all, and I guess wearing wearing like bronze armor. I don't think that's what people wore in the Bronze Age. I don't by think the way. so either. It would be incredibly heavy, and like if you see that guy, like stay away. Yeah. Okay. Can I go on now? I think so. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, okay, we're going to get to the botanical shit. But uh, all right. The name for this stuff comes from German, comes from the German for cabbage turnip, coal being cabbage. (laughs) And I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but R-U with an umlaut, B-E is turnip. I'm going to say Rube. Okay. And then then there's Swiss German, which is Rabi. Okay. Whatever. But anyway, it comes from the German for cabbage turnip, which I love the the thought of because that's actually sort of what it looks and tastes like. That is great. It's so rare that this stuff makes sense. This well, is a beautiful moment. It's we like should take cold, a moment and acknowledge slaw. it. That's a cabbage and a yes. slaw. Yes. Yes. There you go. Okay. This is making a lot more sense to me now. Okay, so um, kohlrabi is also sometimes called a German turnip, but it, it's it's not a turnip, and we'll get to that later. Here's what's cool about it. Okay, the swollen part of it, which we think of as kohlrabi, like the bulbous part, right? Yeah, no, I'm, actually... I'm with you so far. Swollen bulbous stuff is always cool. <laughs> the bulbous part is actually the stem the swollen stem of it, and it sits above ground. So the the stem, if you see it just, you know, uh, like it, it, in the produce section, it kind of looks like a root vegetable, right? It looks a lot like a turnip with these like kind of um, stumpy stems maybe coming out of it. Stumpy stems. But that bulbous thing is actually the stem. Okay. Uh, and so but it's co- not a rhizome, enti- right? 
I'm, I'm it, sitting here like inf- afraid that you're going to say the word rhizome and I'm like crack open that Pandora's rhizome. box again. I'm not going to say rhizome. Okay. Uh, I did not see the word rhizome associated with kohlrabi in any of my I don't research. think it is. Uh, Matthew, did you like that in the agenda I pasted in a photograph that is captioned kohlrabi grown in a flower pot, England? I, I didn't like it. I loved it. I yeah, did not know you. this. I assumed that the bulbous part I, I knew it was an enlarged stem, an engorged, swollen stem, but I did not know that it sat above ground. That's that, wild. Yeah, that is why I put this picture here. I mean, other than the fact that I love the it caption. It looks like, this looks but, like a prank picture that like there was totally a, someone does. had an empty flower pot and, and some prankster came by and dropped a kohlrabi just on top of the soil. Maybe we are good. You know, I found this on Wikipedia. This could I be. I should have double checked. A classic this. Wikipedia prank. I should have cross referenced this. Okay, wait. I, I cut you off though before you could, could you, read the wait, caption. Could you cross reference this for me while I read this caption? Oh, you mean like see if this is true? Yeah. Could you find pictures of kohlrabi growing? Yes. Because <laughs> now I'm scared mm-hmm. that I got punked and I didn't know it. All right. The caption is kohlrabi grown in a flower pot, comma, England. I love how it sounds like, you know, like the little sign next to a, a work of art in a museum. Okay, I'm finding lots of pictures of kohlrabi growing and the, the, the bulbous part is above the soil. That is fascinating. It's like gravity defying. It's like, what's that bu- that building in downtown Seattle that's, <laughs> yeah, like, I know what that's you mean. like skinny at the bottom and then widens out like four floors up? You're right. This is totally gravity defying, <laughs> except <Yeah>. that... <laughs> <laughs> the heavy part is on the bottom, <laughs> sitting on some dirt. But other than that, it's truly magical. Oh, great. Anyway, so uh, really, you know, I hear kohlrabi. Well, I, I hear <laughs> you hear the kohlrabi singing. I hear it in my head all the time. No, I hear people saying. So I hear people talking about kohlrabi all okay. the time. Bartles I and hear, James. Yes. Those people. No, I've heard people say that kohlrabi looks like an alien, that it looks like an alien spaceship, etc. These are very common things that it's compared to. Mm -hmm. But actually, I'm here to put all those comparisons to rest because what it looks like is Sputnik. Yeah, it totally does. Yes. Yeah, because the stems jut out of the the round part. And the stems are really like long and skinny with leaves up at the top. Uh, Yeah, it really looks like Sputnik. Look for kohlrabi um, on your grocer's produce aisle and in outer space. Yeah, and it especially looks satellite like when the when the leaves are cut off and there's just these these like uh, kind of stiff stems sticking out because Sputnik, as far as satellites go, was not uh, particularly leafy. That's true. True. There are some. What are some of the leafier satellites you can oh, think of? Oh, you know, like um, <laughs> uh, can, can you name another satellite? Uh, 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 what about telescopes? How about the Hubble telescope? The, uh, yeah, that, is, is yeah, that a the Hubble Space telescope? telescope is it's a leafy telescope. It, uh, okay. it uses its leaves to you know leaves capture light. That's the whole point of leaves, and that's the point of a telescope. <laughs> That's how telescopes so, work. Kids, so we proved that, yes. By capturing light in their leaves. Photosynthesis. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> this has been a very informative episode. It sure has. It's not even over yet. All right. So let's talk more about kohlrabi. Um, so it's commonly eaten in German speaking countries and in American states with large ancestral German populations uh, like uh, Minnesota. 
if we have any Minnesotans listening, I would love for them to jump in. But the interesting thing is that um, it also shows up in a lot of a, a lot of countries in Asia, in the northern part of Vietnam. It is called Suhao. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. In parts of India and Bangladesh, it's Olkopi. I'm surely pronouncing that all wrong. Uh, it's a very important part of cuisine, of Kashmiri cuisine. Yes, actually. I did. I did actually know this, and I, did, and I was reading a little more about it. So I think it's called Monj in, yes. Kash, in Kashmiri cuisine. And Monji Hach is, uh, is like a classic Kashmiri dish. It's like a light curry of, of kohlrabi mm-hmm. made with, with like chilies and asafetida and uh, and other spices. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it looks really, and you use the leaves and the and the enlarged stem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. I, I learned when I was when I was looking at the, that the two the two most popular vegetables in Kashmiri cuisine are kohlrabi and lotus root. Wow, I didn't know this. I like both of those. You know, now that I'm sitting here, I'm feeling like my research is sort of uh, it's sort of left out an important thing. Like because because here's the deal. So kohlrabi. Well, hold on. We'll we'll come back to other cuisines where it shows up. Okay. But so kohlrabi is a, a, basically a cultivar of wild cabbage, and it's the same species. That's Brassica oleraceae. Is mm-hmm. that how to say it? I think I think it's um, oleraceae. Oleraceae. So that's the same species as cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, kale, Brussels sprouts, collards, all of those. Note that it's not the same species as turnip. That's Brassica rapa. Like, I, I don't mean to brag, but I think I have three of those cruciferous vegetables in my fridge right now. You are such, I don't know what word. <laughs> yeah. I'm, anyway. Whatever word but, it was, you're right. So, so here's the thing. Kohlrabi was, so in nature, kohlrabi's origin was the same as those other vegetables in mm-hmm. the species, Brassica oleraceae. Oleraceae? That's that's how I say it. Okay, in that they're all bred from and the same species as the wild cabbage plant. So what does the original wild cabbage plant look like? Oh, you know what? If you look up this species, Brassica oleraceae, um, on Wikipedia, I believe the picture, the primary picture up at the top is a wild cabbage plant. Oh, it's very like scrubby. Yes, yes, it looks very, very scrubby. So what's interesting to me when you think about the fact that kohlrabi was created by artificial selection, basically, it was created by artificial selection for uh, lateral stem growth. Mm -hmm. So, you know, producing this swollen, nearly spherical stem shape. But how did this, you know... so the name, obviously, that is that has become dominant, at least in the English-speaking world, is kohlrabi. That's also, you know, clearly the name in the German-speaking world. How did it travel to all these places if it was an artificially selected plant? Like, well, how does this thing show up in, like, Kashmiri cuisine? Like, it's native. It's apparently um, become, like, native in Cyprus. I don't know what that means, but... I don't know the answer, but I mean, there it seems like there are two possibilities, either either like, you know, it uh, it, it traveled through like agricultural trade or it was domesticated multi- in multiple places at different times. I wish I knew where it where it was first domesticated, uh, assuming that there was a, a common, you know, uh, birth story for kohlrabi. I mean, it sounds like wild cabbage domestication began in the northern Mediterranean Okay. And like, so it would have spread out from there, like in both directions. That's true. 
Yeah, and you can also find it in Sri Lanka, Romania, Slovakia. So, yeah, I mean, it really just kind of like fanned out all over Europe and Asia. Oh, somewhere like. around the first century AD emerged the phenotype variation of Brassica oleracea known as cabbage. Mm, what a what so, a day that was. So that means that means we we don't know if like like uh, Jesus may have predated cabbage. I highly doubt it. <laughs> Somehow I think cabbage is is our original savior. (laughs) Yeah, it does seem that way sometimes. I'm sure I've just angered some listeners with that. What do you think? Oh, I, I think uh, I think we should strive to, to anger a certain percentage of listeners every week. And I think we do. Great. OK. So anyway, let's talk about eating this stuff. All right. So uh, it can be eaten raw or or cooked. And both the stem and leaves can be eaten. So, you know, what I kept finding online was people comparing the flavor to like a broccoli stem um, but milder and sweeter. Uh, to me, it really just tastes super cabbagey. Like, I think it tastes like a really sweet cabbage. A cabbage without the kind of like bitter edge you sometimes get if you just bite into a raw piece of cabbage. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Anyway, the texture is, is similar to a broccoli stem or almost to like jicama, really. I mean, it's not that juicy, but it's got that same really satisfying crunch which I think of as a different crunch from a broccoli stem. Yeah, that's interesting. Like, yeah, no, it's definitely uh, a crisper crunch than a broccoli stem. Although mm-hmm. I love broccoli stems. Those are great. I love cooked broccoli stems. Yeah. I don't really, I don't like raw broccoli. Whereas I, I really like, like raw broccoli. pickled broccoli stems. Not, not, I wouldn't just like snack on one as is. Mm-hmm. Maybe well, I would. I, Maybe I would just like carry around a broccoli stem in one hand and, a, and some sort of bronze tool in the other hand and just like chunk off chunks as I'm walking down the street. Yeah, sure. Why not? You know? Well, so the, the skin of the stem is, I think it's like actually two two thin layers that are fibrous and, and they don't soften very much in cooking. So you generally want to peel it away, whether you're eating it raw or cooking it. But mm-hmm. the nice thing is, is that even though it's, so I don't peel it away using a peeler. I usually cut it off, but at least it's not like cutting, you know, the the outside off of a celery root where you lose like 70% of the oh, root. Oh, yeah. No, I know what you mean. With kohlrabi, you've got like a way high ratio of flesh to skin. So that's that's really nice. Even though you got to cut off the outside, you've still got lots of stuff behind. Yeah, because it's not, it's not as like rumply as a, yes. as a celery root. One time at the farmer's market, probably the U-District farmer's market, I bought a really big celery root. <laughs> And you would think this would be like the beginning of a story and there would be more to the story. But that's, but the, that's the whole story. And, but here's the question for you. So uh-huh. how much of that celery root was actually edible? Because Four percent. Yeah, because <laughs> I mean, I love celery root. But the thing is, is like all those little, you know, it's like uh, like the, the outer surface of it is like wrinkly, almost like a brain. And like by the time you cut all that stuff away and cut away like all the little hairy and fibrous and dirty parts that have like infiltrated toward the middle through the wrinkles in the brain. Am I messing up my metaphor here? No, not at all. You wind up with like almost nothing. Yeah. Whereas like if you have a brain, almost the whole thing is edible. (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever eaten brain? I have. Yes. It's kind of it's kind of like one of my real culinary like no go zones. Like I've been presented with the opportunity to eat brain fritters Mm -hmm. once in Italy. 
And there are so many other things that I, I would rather eat in Italy yeah, or, that makes or sense. anywhere. I have also encountered it in Italian food. I, like, I had like a lamb brain agnolotti, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, How was it? I mean, it was good. Like in that case, it like just kind of just melts into into like a flavored fat. Yes. Like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Like, no, I'm not even going to go down that road. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm really glad that we we had have done this brain episode. Uh, anyway, okay, wait. So, Matthew, have you ever eaten kohlrabi? Oh, you did say you've been eating it for 15 years. Right? <laughs> I, yeah, meaning like I ate it a couple times 15 years ago. Okay, um, so what what have you done with it? Okay, so first of all, we've been getting a produce box where you can like go online and, and like swap out things that they were, they were going to send you in favor of the things that you want them to send you. And you keep swapping out kohlrabi. Okay, yes, that's exactly what's happened, but uh, we're not getting one next week, but uh, the following week... Uh, I'm I'm going to I'm going to swap in kohlrabi if necessary unless the season is over or something and I'm going to do something with it like what I want to do with it is is like you know cube it or cut it into matchsticks and make like a tart crunchy salad yes do it but I would oh, also yeah. try making this this uh, monji hach recipe yes that sounds fantastic did you see a recipe for it that you, you yeah think we could link to? I'm gonna for it's from spiceroots.com and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it in the agenda and we will uh, we'll put it in the show notes we'll link to Great. it in the show notes okay um well so uh, I get a CSA box from local roots farm mm-hmm. and let's see two of the last three boxes have contained kohlrabi but one of do they had, know that it's a stem, not a root? I'm pretty sure they I do. Because I get a box from local stems farm, and <laughs> so dumb, never uh, mind. That was so dumb. <laughs> anyway, one of my CSA shares had two kohlrabi in it, and I think there's still one kicking around the bottom of my crisper drawer. But How um, many other cruciferous vegetables do you have in there? Oh, you know, uh, right now I've got half of a green cabbage. Okay. I've got kohlrabi. Uh, we had broccoli, but we ate it yesterday. I'll still count it. And I've got kale. So I think I've got three easily. Okay. Yeah, no, we've got, we've got kale. I think there's a little chunk of broccoli in there. And you know what? That might be it. There was some green cabbage that turned into lumpia that got finished off today. Wait, it just turned into lumpia? Does that oh, happen? Oh, it was great. Yeah, it was a, It was one of those, uh, you know, a, fr- a refrigerator miracle yes. where you open your fridge and like uh, like a cabbage has turned into a spring roll or like an eggplant has turned <laughs> oh, into a cake. God. This has been happening a lot on Instagram, I hear. Ah, yes, yes. I've heard of this. It hasn't yet happened to me. I'll yeah. go open my fridge Anything after in your fridge might episode. be a cake. I can't. Can't wait to find out. Okay. So anyway, uh, we've been getting a lot of kohlrabi. And I got to say, I have mostly been enjoying eating it raw. It's really grown on me. So I have... Uh, well, I should say we fed the uh, the leaves to the guinea pigs. You know, you can eat the leaves, right? Yes. I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not, not- saying that, that you shouldn't give nice things to your guinea pigs. They're adorable. Do you know what guinea pigs really like or are guinea pigs? They love fennel tops. Oh, nice. Oh my God. It's so cute to see how like you give them a little pile of a whole bunch of different, you know, like stuff that you got kicking around the fridge and they go for the fennel tops first every time. But like, will they, will they like eat stuff that you put into their cage or do you have to like hold it and, and like feed it into their mouths like they're oh. a wood chipper? Well, so actually it, like getting them comfortable around you takes quite a bit of work. So um, they only occasionally will contentedly eat out of our hands. Oh, that's interesting because once we, 
once we uh, pet sat for a pair of guinea pigs for a week and they would eat carrots out of our hands immediately. So I think that those were probably older and more tame than ours are. Like we, we got ours as like newly weaned you know, oh, okay. teenage or, guinea pigs. Alternatively, like everyone in my family <laughs> is like a Dr. Doolittle type and the animals just, all the animals love us. I don't actually think that's true. I think you just had some really well, well broken in guinea pigs. The other day I was out for a walk and I was like walking along, looking at my phone and like paused and looked up and there was a rabbit sitting on the sidewalk <laughs> facing me like two feet away, just staring at me. And then it hopped off. Was it like wearing a hat or? Or was that was the Mad Hatter anywhere nearby? Um, or nobody, did you get invited to a tea party? It was like six feet tall and I was inebriated. <laughs> was Jake Gyllenhaal anywhere nearby? Jake was Gyllenhaal. It Donnie, was it Donnie Darko? I was, that's weird. Like, I don't know what, what if you're talking about like a historical event or something, but I was actually walking with my friend Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Um, Have you not seen Donnie Darko? <laughs> well, I I haven't seen it, but I do know that it's a movie involving a scary rabbit. So yeah. I was just playing dumb for the sake of the joke. Okay. How about I tell I you wish what I... I was friends with Jake Gyllenhaal. It seems How like a nice guy. How about I tell guy. you what I like to do with Cole Robbie? Okay. All right. So um, I got to admit, I was not very excited to get this stuff in my CSA box. But the first time I got it, we happened to have some like... Uh, like ranch dip sitting around, like sour cream with ranch powder mixed in. Oh, sure. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So right away, I cut up the kohlrabi, and it is delicious as like, you know, a crudite type thing, like dipped in dip. Yeah, of course. Especially if you're somebody who doesn't mind raw, like I, I don't really love raw cauliflower or broccoli. I will eat them, but I don't love them. But they show up on pretty much every crudite platter everywhere. I don't know why kohlrabi isn't showing up because it is tastier than both of them. Yeah. As a raw vegetable, absolutely. I think there's, there's no question in my mind. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, for sure, use it as a crudite. I then found that I just really kind of didn't mind just sort of like chomping on it while I was making dinner or whatever the way that, you know, I don't know, you might eat some carrot sticks left over from your kid's lunch or whatever. Every bit as delicious. And I think particularly, you know, if, if you're getting them like, you know, from a farm or a farmer's market or something, they're really yeah, from local sweet. Stems. From local stems. Local swollen stems. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, people, you can use them. You can also cut them up in many different ways. Cubed, julienne, sliced thinly. You could probably shave them on a mandolin. Do a salad Would you describe kohlrabi as swole? You can use them <laughs> in slaws. I imagine you could do almost like a like a celery remoulade thing with kohlrabi. I think you absolutely could. So apparently in Cyprus, they serve raw kohlrabi as an appetizer, just sprinkled with lemon and salt. Yeah, no, any crunchy vegetable like that, I like it with with a real tart hit of acid, a vinegar, or a you citrus know, juice. You know where I think I would really get into kohlrabi? Where? So. <laughs> In Cyprus, for okay. one thing. I'm going to Cyprus now to eat kohlrabi. No, you know how with wings you get your celery, your carrots, and your blue cheese? Mm-hmm. I mean, your blue cheese dressing? I think we should be eating kohlrabi with our spicy wings. Oh, that sounds our good. Our hot wings, right? Yeah. Yeah, with our hot wings and our blue cheese dressing, kohlrabi all the way. I am going to send a letter, uh, uh, mail a letter to Buffalo Wingdom? Wild Wings. Yeah. Oh, yes. Our, yes. You know our favorite restaurant? <laughs> uh, anyway, Matthew, 
I remember when we did a turnip episode, you mentioned that you really like eating raw turnip. Oh, this was something my mom would give me as a treat when I was a kid. I don't know like what she was what? doing. Seriously. Did you? This sounds like some sort of um, sad tale of an orphanage in like the 1800s or something. Well, I grew up uh, in one of those documentaries like, uh, can we force people to live like in olden times and watch them suffer on, on BBC? Oh, uh, you're like those people who live in Port Townsend, like they live in the 1800s with their corsets. And Have you read about those people? No. Oh, yeah. There's a couple. Okay. Um, in Port Townsend, Washington, a man and a woman, at least. Um, maybe there are other people who've joined them, but they live their whole lives like they're in the 1800s. I mean, I don't like the part about the corsets at all. Yeah, you uh, you can find pictures of them online. It's such a special, strange version of privilege they're living. Yeah, that's that's odd. Yes. Um, so anyway, so that's how I grew up, uh, like corseted. And uh, and Cole Robbie. What mm-hmm. was wait? What was I can't remember what started. What kicked off? This oh, bit. you're eat, no eating raw turnips. Right, right. So so this now back to the truth. <laughs> this is our segment called Back to the Truth. <laughs> I, I'm not even sure what my mom was making with turnips, but I remember vividly when I was you know like in the single digits age wise, her passing me like a slice of raw turnip and saying, "Try this. I think you'll like it." And I did. It must have been, um, I, I, you know, knowing Judy Amster. She she had the hookup on where to get some like extra fresh and sweet turnips. Oh yeah, you know she she definitely knew where to find local stems. Yeah, a turnip's probably a root. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I have to say I I way prefer raw, raw kohlrabi over raw turnips. Uh, so I'm gonna put that out there. Let's talk about cooked kohlrabi. Yeah, I remember back in the e-gullet days, like one time getting some kohlrabi, like uh, or seeing kohlrabi at the farmers market, and asking like, "What do I do with it? like how do I cook this stuff?" And s- some e-gullet person like haughtily responding, "Like you don't cook it." Oh dear God! But guess what? You do. You do. All right. So you can use this in so many places. I mean, frankly, Cyprus. I- Cashmere. Yes. You can treat it like a root vegetable, frankly. You can do pretty much anything with it that you could do with like a parsnip or with a potato even. So you can cube it and put it in soups, like a chunky soup. You can puree it into soups. Mm -hmm. Uh, You could roast it, really good roasted at a high temperature like broccoli. It has quite a bit of water in it. It was difficult for me to get roasted kohlrabi to brown. Mm -hmm. It doesn't get as, you know, when you roast turnips, how they get very uh, almost like juicy. Yeah. It doesn't get quite that soft. Oh, wait. It, yeah, I've got turnips. In addition to those cruciferous vegetables, I have some um, Hakode turnips that, that I was going to roast or glaze tonight, mm. I think. Uh, but I glazed kohlrabi seems like it would be really tasty. I think it would be. I think it would be. It doesn't. It's not going to get as silky as yeah. like a wedge of turnip That's does. That's fine. But the flavor would be lovely. As we've already discussed, it works well with spices that you might commonly think of for Indian food. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I saw somebody recommend that you can steam it if you're into steaming vegetables. But then once you've steamed it, you can do any number of things with it. You can mash it. Apparently, you can take kohlrabi and make a fritter from it, like a mashed mashed kohlrabi fritter. What you wrote on the agenda was you can also steam it if you like steaming vegetables. Yeah, Shots fired. A little disdainful, wasn't Mm -hmm. it? I mean, I say that having grown up with, um, you know, with a mom in the 80s who was into low fat cooking and, and steamed everything. Okay. 
yeah. So I got to gotta own where I come from. Yeah. And whereas uh, I, I grew up in the 1800s and uh, we didn't have steam. That's true. <laughs> Except for engines. We just had dew. Yeah, we had steam engines. That's true. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. Oh, and then the leaves, of course. The leaves are edible and they can be used anywhere you would use kale or collard greens. Can you make chips out of them? Did I tell you that I made kale chips for the first time in my life last week? No, I was thinking about making kale chips yesterday and then I ran out of time. I wow. don't. I've been telling really like vivid stories this episode. <laughs> There was the time I bought a celery root. There was uh, the time I almost made kale chips. <laughs> there were all the days that you didn't buy kohlrabi. <laughs> yep. I think no, of myself I... as a storyteller first and foremost. <laughs> now, I made kale chips for the first time last week because I'm I'm starting to get really tired of getting kale every single week sure. from our CSA. And anyway, so I made kale chips and I decided to look up some like different ideas for flavoring kale chips because I just wanted something more interesting than olive oil and salt. Mm -hmm. So I did mine with, uh, I kind of made a slurry of miso and soy sauce and olive oil. Oh, that sounds good. And I was worried that it was going to, that it would make it hard for the chips to get crispy, right? Because that's a lot of liquid. Yeah. But the chips got very crispy. I used a, a recipe or a method from, I believe, the kitchen. Dot com, mm -hmm. where they recommended roasting at a pretty low temp and for a longer period than you might think like of. Like three days. For three days. <laughs> no, 300 degrees for longer than I would have expected. Um, and all the liquid that was in this, you know, the seasoning mixture totally evaporated. And I had really crispy kale chips. However, uh, they tasted like pure punishment. Like oh. I did not, I didn't like it. Like I don't like I didn't like that flavor of kale. It just tasted really dark green, even with miso and soy sauce. Hmm. I didn't like I it. Was Do you gonna, like kale I was going to say, I, I've definitely had kale chips that I enjoyed. I was going to suggest just like some straight MSG on there, uh, I think would probably be great. Um I, I might do a little kale chip experimentation and let you know what happens. When you say when you say you, they baked longer than you expected, I now I'm genuinely curious whether that means like 25 minutes or like two hours. Or... No, it, it was like 25 minutes. Hang okay. on, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up this recipe and and uh, and we'll link to it. Okay, we'll, we'll link to this recipe you didn't like. Uh, great. This is called How to Make Kale Chips You Actually Want to Eat. Okay. Okay. So you bake at 300 for about 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's not. It's actually not as long as you might think. I mean, frankly, when I roast broccoli or something, I do like fifteen minutes at four twenty-five. Okay. So. I think I might make some kale chips tonight. We'll see how my schedule works out. Okay. But, uh, I might. Let I me, might ask teenager of the show Iris if they would be in charge of making some kale chips tonight because I have a singing lesson before dinner. Oh, I love this about you. I love pandemic singing, Matthew. Uh huh. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't think anyone actually likes this. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Okay. Anyway, but um, yeah, I really want to hear more about your kale chip experience because I got to say, I just did not care for the taste of kale cooked that way. I didn't like the flavor it brought out. We've done a kale episode. Like if I make some kale chips and I like them and then I tell you and you try the, the way I made it and Let's then you like them, we could do a episode. kale chips episode. Great, okay. That was the we're, longest possible way of pitching that idea. We're only like five years behind the trends as usual. I, I think it might be more than five years. I think you might be right. Okay, anyway, Matthew, I think we've talked enough. Uh, this has been our kohlrabi episode. Yeah. 
yeah, I want to hear how you're kohlrabiing. Which local stems, local roots, and local leaves are sustaining you at this time? Facebook.com slash Podcast. Let us know. Uh, you can find us also at, at uh, SpilledMilkPodcast.com. In the show notes, in your podcast player, that's where we'll link to uh, this Monji Hach recipe, uh, kohlrabi cooked in the Kashmiri style. And we'll link to that kale chips article and something else we said we would link to. Uh, I mean, it was in the show. Producer Abby ha- has already done it. Okay, cool. By the way, All our right. producer is producer Abby Circatella, who yes, <laughs> legally changed you. her first name to producer. <laughs> it's about time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I should announce to the listeners that I've changed my first name to host. And I've changed my name to Mr. Cool. Wow, you're full of good jokes in this episode. <laughs> All right. Uh, wow. Th- thanks oh, for listening to Spilled Milk. No. I, uh, I'm host, I and he's Mr. Cool. I don't, I, I don't have to be treated that way on my own show. <laughs> yeah. All right, Did okay, you say, say you're Mr. Cool? No, I said I'm host, and he's Mr. Cool. Oh, okay, that's us, yes. See you next time. <laughs> Bye. Your voice sounds somewhat robotic. Mm